broadcasting from Chico, California. This is the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast, where we discuss NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries science and management, conservation, and more. No better, fish better. Here's your host, Hogan Brown. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Hogan Brown. Welcome back to the Barbless Podcast, and I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I want to welcome a, a dear friend of mine. He's actually been on the podcast before. Um, was on, I think, one of my first guests maybe a year year ago. I don't know. Who knows how long? But it, it was a while back. Um, gentleman's name, Captain Lucas Bissett. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back, Lucas. Uh, yeah, thanks, Logan. Appreciate the uh, the re-invite after being on. And yes, I think I was your first guest. Yeah, I, um, I was thinking about that. I was doing the ago. math. Yeah, I was I was like, who's really easy to talk to? Oh, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I definitely have never been accused of uh, having a lack of stuff to say. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those where I'm like, if I run out of things to talk about, who can I keep talking to and it was obviously you so <laughs> um, oh, I, I have that going for me I'm yeah yeah my resume for yeah sure. that definitely add that to your resume is you can hold conversations up to 60 minutes <laughs> so the well, reason you know, you know it's be, being a guide you have to right I oh mean, you have to be able to, to have conversations <laughs> absolutely and you know under trying circumstances at times so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like you have to, you have to be a therapist. You have to be a, a clown. You have to be a best friend. You have to be a stern parent. I mean, you're you're going through a gamut of different things with people when you're on the boat with them. I mean, um, and you have to be a chameleon of sorts with personality because people are people are different and they have different ways of communicating. And and some people like you know having those raunchy conversations, and some people it's a yes ma'am, no ma'am sort of situation. So you got to be ready for all of it. Oh, how, how true that is. The uh, the variety of personalities that you encounter as a fly fishing guide makes you appreciate the uh, diversity of the human species. You know, you know, you know that there are more than one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So reason we're bringing you on, not only that you and me can, you know, blow through SD cards like nobody's business as we record, but um, you have a new job. Yes, am I correct? You are correct, sir. Yes, they um, they have entrusted me with the executive director position of the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, which um, is an honor. Uh, definitely humbled by the uh, by the position, humbled by the opportunity. Um, but yeah, um, as you know, as a board member of AFTA, that uh, that was a that was a voted on by yourself and the rest of the board and a unanimous decision to hire me uh, back in June. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, if you, you know, if you listen to this podcast, we definitely talk about fly fishing industry business and the fly fishing, you know, I guess the, the business end of it in general, but fly fishing is a unique business in that it, um, it, there's not like a, a true union for people that are employed in it. Um, you know, there's not, there's organizations and groups and such, but kind of the, the, the lone unifying factor or what would be commonly referred to and what it's referred to as by itself as a trade union is AFTA. And, um, how long has AFTA been around Lucas? Do you, nineties? Uh, Are we? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an organization that has been around longer than 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it has a, it has a history that goes back a ways. It, it started as one thing and then sort of morphed into another, uh, then you had sort of a split off of two organizations. So at one point you had, uh, I think it was AFTMA back in the day. And then from there you got ASA, which is the American Sport Fishing Association, and AFTA were both sort of born out of that original uh, organization. And then from there, you know, AFTA sort of went solo as an organization, again, as the sole trade organization of fly fishing. Yes. And um, has been AFTA now for around 20 years and um, has gone through a number of different iterations of the organization with different chairs and, and different executive directors over the years. Um, but yeah, now we are uh, in 2021 and 
have new leadership and a new direction and, uh, you know, excited to see where we can take this thing. Yeah. And so for, for our listeners, there is a, a basically a volunteer board that is elected by the members and members are, I mean, what are the, and I can speak to it as a, as an elected board member, but you with probably a little bit more authority than I, what, what are the kind of members, what, what qualifies a member of AFTA? Yeah. So as the sole trade organization of, of fly fishing, we represent all the different sectors of fly fishing. So we represent manufacturers, guides, retailers, outfitters, media folks who are within um, our industry. So, you know, the Drake magazines and the, you know, the hatch magazines, things like that. Um, Dunn magazine, you know, we have, we have all these different media uh, uh, partners. And then we also have affiliate businesses and then like affiliate individuals that we represent through our membership. And then lastly, like nonprofits that would be associated with fly fishing. So Trout Unlimited comes to mind, Yeah, um, you know, uh, save Bristol Bay, you know, things like that. So um, not only do we represent the big manufacturers like, you know, Patagonia, Orva, Sims, all of those, but then from there we, we work down through retail, uh, independent fly shops. Uh, we also have sales reps who would then, you know, be out there uh, selling that uh, stuff for manufacturers and then guides and outfitters like we are and then uh, media. So, yeah, we, we run the whole gamut of the industry. Uh, we represent from 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 tip to tail, as they would say. And uh, we cover cover all of the uh, the entire fly fishing organ or trade, more or less businesses. The business of fly fishing. That's yeah, and that's that's way better than I would have described it. And and <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you know it's funny in fly fishing. There's in a lot of other professions. There's unions and you know groups. Um, and this is really in the fly fishing world. This is really all there is. Um, you know, I know in our little neck of the woods, we have, you know, groups that the Northern California Guides and Sportsmen's Association and stuff like that. But they're, um, while they work really hard to support guides, they definitely, the bulk of their membership is uh, anglers. And this is the only organization that you, you have to be in the business of fly fishing to be part of this. But we broadly define the business of fly fishing from what I see. You know, and you could be running a blog, you could be, you know, tying flies in your house and making $15,000 a year selling your flies on the side. Like there's a lot of different ways you can qualify for AFTA if I'm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, sort of the main difference between some of those organizations that you're talking about is that they're typically regional or local in focus. And so we're the only nationally focused trade organization when it comes to fly fishing in the sense that. You know, we're looking at, you know, federal law. We're looking at, you know, tariffs. We're looking at tax issues. We're looking at the things that affect the business of fly fishing. Again, you know, it's it's a it's a real uh, heavy focus on how can we help you as the business of fly fishing, you know, make more money. Um, you know, how do you how do you standardize, you know, different things within your business to, to again, help your bottom line to make you more effective as a business? And then at the same time, we also try and focus on the conservation aspect of it through our fisheries fund, which is really the two pillars that we look at as the business of fly fishing. So you have the trade side, which is what I run, where we're looking at all those things I mentioned before. And then at the same time, we look at our natural resources and the protection of those resources so that we have a place to go and, and fish. And so, um, you know, when you look at AFTA as a whole, it's really those two pillars that make up our strategic plan that gives us the national focus across the board that means that you're represented in a way that your you know local uh, you know like you said guides association or other associations just don't have that bandwidth and so we're here to support them in the the endeavors that they're taking on but we're also here to support the the sort of the national focus of the business of fly fishing. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't think a lot of people and consumers realize that there is an organization kind of working behind the scenes in that case, you know? Um, Absolutely. And it, it's probably a little bit removed in the sense of, 
you know, most of the people that are walking into a fly shop, you know, they're very well familiar with Trout Unlimited. They're very well, you know, they're familiar with what a product costs or whatnot. But what AFTA is doing is kind of behind the scenes in that, you know, I know just serving on the board that one of the big things over the last couple of years is those tariffs and trying to create affordable products and such and helping manufacturers limit the costs. And that's definitely an end consumer thing. Um, with the fisheries fund, that is basically the conservation arm of our trade organization. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about that because that's again, something that I don't think it's back end, right? Like it supports the organizations that front facing or the, the fly fishing consumer knows about, but they may not know that some of that supports coming from a trade organization. Yeah. And you know, the, the fisheries fund, it, it was started in 2014. Um, it is the, the sort of nonprofit conservation arm of, of AFTA. Um, it lives underneath the umbrella of AFTA. But last year, we made a conscious effort to really bolster its ability to bring together, again, a more nationalized focus around conservation in a couple of different ways. One, we hired an executive director in Whitney Tilt to take over that position so that the Fisheries Fund could operate independently through that leadership so that it could focus on conservation while AFTA could continue to focus solely on trade. And we thought that would be the best way to get, you know, membership the best bang for their buck so that they know that when they're supporting AFTA, at the same time, their natural resources are going to be supported through the fisheries fund. And so that's a change that we made last year that I think has had major impact. It gives the fisheries fund an opportunity to focus solely on that conservation. Whitney is doing an amazing job of, of building a new website. Um, we've already handed out $20,000 in grants this year um, to, to really help the boots on the ground work that's happening in communities that's making these natural resources better. You know, so we've supported things from Texas to the Pacific Northwest to Louisiana up into the Northeast. And we really look for those, those conservation projects that are that are community based and that they're really helping you know on the ground opportunities. So something that's happening with a river cleanup or something that's happening with like putting in a new culvert in an area to allow a river to reestablish in its natural flow or you know different things like that. And so the fisheries fund now will become a far more front facing or forward facing organization that you know hopefully people will understand the benefit of having it and will buy into supporting it in a way that we haven't done in the past, you know, through donations and other opportunities, knowing that those donations are going directly to projects that are helping community and helping natural resources in, in areas that could use it so dearly. I mean, as we look at climate change and other things that are really affecting our natural resources, you know, having something like the Fisheries Fund that can be a unifying voice across the country when it comes to conservation is the, one of the most important things that we can start to focus on because it means that, you know, these things aren't going to slip through the cracks. You know, we're not going to allow people to, to ignore the major issues that we're seeing out West right now with, with hoot owl restrictions and wildfires. We're not going to be able to ignore the tide issues that are happening in Florida or the hurricanes that continually happen in the Gulf Coast and up the eastern seaboard. You know, as these changes are taking place, we're going to do our best to make sure that those things stay at the forefront. That's great. That's great. And, and, you know, for, for the listeners, Whitney is really making it a more front facing organization. There's, he's putting out a great newsletter once a month. The website talks about a lot of what he's doing and what the organization is doing. And definitely if, you know, I know locally there's been donations to our Klamath river in Northern California areas and that. So it is, you know, if you're looking for a, an organization or a, a, a charitable donation that really your dollars get spread around, but at the same time, go to direct boots on the ground action. The fisheries funds, a great, a great one for people to check out. So absolutely. So back to your new gig, you are now the director of essentially all that we have aforementioned. Um, yep. What, you know, what is that change in leadership and kind of your change for, you know, our or 
our listeners sports. I mean, it, it, this is their sport and their, their fisheries. What is, what does that look like for the fly fishing industry? What, what is your vision? Well, you know, we were, we were fortunate enough to go through a process that you were a part of a couple of years ago in developing a new strategic plan for AFTA. Yes. And that was an 18 month plus project that we took on, uh, with the help of a, of a, um, a facilitator who really helped us focus on what it was that we wanted to achieve. And in that, you know, process, we came up with a mission statement that said, you know, we wanted to sustainably guide the growth of the business of fly fishing. And, and really, when you look at the, the vision that I have moving forward, I'm using that strategic plan as my North Star. So when I'm looking at opportunities for us as an organization to make people's businesses more sustainable and better, I'm looking at opportunities that include membership benefits, that include communication practices that we haven't been able to establish in the past so that we're getting out information on a regular basis. You know, I want to make sure that members are feeling like their trade organization speaks for them and to them. Yeah. I think we've done a really good job in the past speaking for them. I think we're going to do a much better job now moving forward to speak to them so that people can start to glean information from the, you know, the information that we're putting out and that they feel like they're getting something for their membership that's happening on a regular basis. You know, in the past, I've heard a lot about how I don't know what AFTA's doing. I don't know what AFTA's been up to. What, what's going on? You know, and as a board member for the last four years and you as a board member for the last three, you know that we have been doing a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, but for sure. we but we just haven't done a really good job of telling people about what we've been up to. And so as a communication major, uh, you know, in college, I understand the benefit of talking to people. Yeah. And ways that will be entertaining, ways that will be educational and ways that will be engaging. And so that's my first step is like, let's just start talking to people in a way that makes sense, in a way that's digestible, in a way that they want to consume it on a regular basis. Gotcha. And so we've been, you and I, you know, you're the communications guy as, as our uh, marketing communications chair. Yeah. You and I have been working very closely together to create a content calendar uh, we're working on a podcast together, not this one, but another one that <laughs> yep. we're going to put out called, yep. called Trade Secrets, where, where we're going to get out short little blips of information that comes directly from members that's going to be for members. So we're going to have retailers on to talk about shop talk. We're going to have manufacturers on to talk about things that's happening in their neck of the woods. And we're going to have guides on to talk about things that we can help other guides to, to make their businesses better. And so that's the first and foremost thing that I want to work on. Yeah. Secondly is going to be that membership benefit. You know, like what can we do to make sure that members understand the value and they feel it in their pocketbook whenever we're going out with new, new innovative ways of thinking about the industry? You know, we've all seen this influx of participation that's come in over the yes. last year and a half. So how do we capitalize on that? How do yeah. we capitalize on it sustainably? You know, like yesterday, I was on a call with the uh, White House Chiefs of Staff and uh, the Assistant Secretary of the Interior, Tommy Boudreaux. And one of the things that I brought up was we're all seeing the growth of the industry, but how do we make sure that that growth is sustainable? And how do we make sure that it's economically and, and environmentally sustainable so that we all understand the benefits of having these new participate uh, participants, but know that it comes at a cost if we're not willing to engage with them on an educational level and engage with them on understanding what it is that needs to happen for our natural resources so that they remain protected as we see the inclusion in these new participants so that they feel welcome to the sport and the industry, no matter where they're from, no matter, you know, what their, what their race, religion, or creed is. I mean, that's really important for us moving forward is understanding how to make sure that these people feel included and make sure that we're being extremely uh, you know, educational and inclusive in the way that we move forward as a trade organization so that we can, you know, really help these people become advocates for our sport, because I know that there's a lot of opportunity there and also to feel welcome as participants. I mean, those are the things that are really important to me in the in the short term and then ultimately in the long term. Yeah. And I mean, you, you kind of answered my na next question to some degree. If you if you if someone's listening and they kind of read between the lines, you know, the guy driving around listening to this podcast or mowing his lawn, listen to it. You know that how how does the work of AFTA and your goals affect the con the consumer, the average consumer? And you kind of touched on some of it. There is how does this 
huge influx of people into fly fishing, you know, how do we as a trade organization deal with that and make that, you know, I just always think of the guy on the river that's, you know, pissed off that there's 20 other guys on the river with him now when he used to be the only guy on the river. And, you know, how does the trade organization with all those things you're talking about serve the end consumer? Because in some ways, you know, that you kind of talked about some of them there, but can you enlighten or kind of talk about some of that for uh, a sec? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we at AFTA have always strived to do is be a conduit for our businesses to talk directly to consumers. You know, as a trade organization, we're typically not going to be going direct to consumer. You know, that's not really our place. You know, we're really about the business of fly fishing. Yeah. But what we can do is we can create toolkits, we can create opportunity for those businesses to make sure that they're educating people properly around, you know, best practices, around how to handle fish, around how to just interact with the environment in a responsible way. I mean, let's face it, guides and retailers are the front lines and the face of our organization, or I mean, our industry, right? Like, so yeah. they're, they're out there seeing the, the consumer on a daily basis. They're interacting with them, some of them for the first time ever with, you know, with fly fishing. Yeah. And so making sure that those businesses are being welcoming and inclusive and have the proper tools to educate people in a way that makes this sustainable is how we can affect those participants in the best way possible. Because if those businesses feel like they're overwhelmed with the new participation and they're not prepared, say, for e-commerce, or they're not prepared for the way that they communicate with those folks, be in the shop or even through uh, you know social media or other opportunities, we as a trade organization are really going to try to help them communicate better the way that they would like to and to run their businesses in the way that, that benefits them as a, as a business owner. And then by doing that, we are in turn affecting how those participants feel welcomed into the sport and how they're going to go through their journey within the industry and the sport so that they feel like it was a, a, a valuable uh, journey and that they want to continue it and then spread that to the next generation and the generation after that. Because one of the things that was happening before COVID is that our customer base was getting older and older. And so we weren't going to be a sustainable industry if we weren't uh, you know, welcoming younger and more diverse folks into the sport and the industry. And so this influx has really given us the boost in the arm that we needed in order to, you know, really start to diversify our, our participants. But we have to be ready to welcome them in a way that makes them feel like they can continue participating. Yeah. We don't want to, we don't want a one and done, you know, like we yeah. want to make sure that these folks feel like what they're getting into is something that they can go through the rest of their lives and then maybe bring their children or our nieces and nephews or even someone from their community into as well. And so giving the tools needed to our businesses to be able to do that is really where AFTA helps to sustain participation in a way that is, uh, that's good for the future. That's great. And, and that really speaks to the end consumer too. And that's, that's part of, you know, part of the, part of the benefit of AFTA and part of what I've always wanted to do is, you know, you, you asked it, well, what is AFTA doing? And it's like, well, do you want to know what I do on a day-to-day -day basis? It's a lot. And, uh, you know, kind of bringing that to light on all aspects is I, I think an important part going forward for our organization. Um, on that note, you, we kind of got, you know, t we talked about a couple different things. One, with the state of the industry right now, and you've kind of touched on a lot of this um, in various different parts of the conversation. And I, uh, I had Jesse on another board member, Jesse Haller from Orvis, talking about you know supply chain issues and stuff in in the uh, in the industry. And we've kind of touched in various podcasts along the way um, about kind of the state of the fly fishing industry. But as the you know the head of our trade organization, how do you, how do you kind of see the state of the fly fishing industry now and going into the, you know, end of 2022 or excuse me, 2021 and into 2022? Yeah, we, we're definitely facing, you know, similar challenges to people outside of our industry as well. When you look at manufacturing issues, supply chain, um, when you look at, you know, things that are coming from overseas that are being held up, when you look at the fact that we can't produce it fast enough, 
Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we stand on the precipice of an opportunity like we've never seen before. And so I'm hoping that as, as long as we can get the, you know, the COVID situation manageable and that, you know, people feel comfortable, uh, getting back into fly shops, getting back into guided situations, traveling again at a, re- on a regular basis, that the future is bright for our industry. I mean, like I said, we've got an injection of participation like never seen before. I mean, at this point, it makes a river run through it look like a, you know, a short film that uh, no one watched. Yeah. And so, and so with that, you know, comes great responsibility too, though. And we just have to make sure that we're prepared to, um, you know, welcome these folks with open arms, but at the same time, prepare them and educate them for the crowded river situation or our national parks to, to be overrun. And that we understand that, you know, a cultural shift is needed in order to make sure that everyone feels like their expectations are being met from the natural resources that have a finite amount of space and, and, and limited in the way that they can produce. And so it's, it's just a matter of, of us doing a good job of educating and, and having a real open dialogue with a lot of the participants who are coming in who don't have expectations when it comes to whether or not they should be alone on a river or whether or not this is a, a sport to escape, you know, yeah. and escape and escape is a relative term, though. And yeah, so if absolutely. you have someone who's if you have someone who's coming from an urban area who has never even been in, you know, say the woods or, or a real natural landscape, escape for them could be 10 feet off of a trail enjoying something as simple as a gar or a carp or a brim and bass, you know? And so yeah. I think we just have to continue to modify what is the standard of expectations and what is the standard of how we portray ourselves as a sport and an industry. But, you know, the rest of this year, in my opinion, has real opportunity. I mean, we really are standing at the precipice of something great. And we just have to make sure that our industry is prepared to do what we have to do to make it great. And so that's where the, uh, the AFTA you know, organization comes in. And that's where we as board members and, and me as the executive director have to just be ready to, uh, to really push for you know, this new inclusion and new diversity and equity. And so that people feel really good about participating. And I think those things are all very possible. It's just a matter of, of us working towards it as a group. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, uh, it, 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 it is an opportunity, you know, to, uh, and you can relate to this, you know, just in the people that have been getting in my boat over the last 18 months or, you know, like it used to be a lot of older white guys, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's completely changed in that there are, I, I've been guiding people that are younger than me and not that like, granted I'm getting older. So more and more people are younger than me, but you know, that's a new thing. I've guided women. I've guided people that really have never done anything outdoors besides fly fishing. And, um, the, the fresh injection of kind of that attitude and passion and openness, um, you know, is incredibly, it's invigorating to me as well. You know, like, even I've had to adjust my point of view of, you know, that, you know, client hooks a fish and it, I may be disappointed cause it's kind of small or, but like to that client, that's an amazing fish. They, that's their first striper or their, you know what I mean? And it's nice to have that kind of new injection of enthusiasm into the industry and to welcome it and embrace it and kind of nurture those people along their journey is an important part of it, I think. So well, and, you know, one, one last, you know, sort of touch on that would be the fact that, you know, the, the resources that we have aren't going to be able to produce in the manner that they did before because of all these environmental impacts that we're seeing, climate change, you know, the increase in pressure and, and sort of participation that's happening. And so the good thing is, is that there's a natural balance happening and that the new participants typically have lower expectations of what success looks like. Yeah. And so, you know, because of that, it's 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 helpful in, in that you as a guide just have to adjust your expectations so that you realize that if the client is happy, you're happy. Exactly. And I think that's extremely important for anybody in business, you know, before we even saw any of these COVID changes, is that we just have to adjust the way that we feel about success so that it reflects what the customer sees. 
and not the other way around. You know, and, yeah. and we talked about this on our last podcast as well. I know it because this is something that I always preach. Yeah. But now as the executive director, I just preach it from many different perspectives. Yeah. It's just the idea that this new customer base has a different expectation of what a great day is. Yes. And we just have to adjust our expectations to meet that. And the yeah. good thing is, is that the expectations are lower on average and that they're coming in with just a, a blank slate of sort yeah. of what is good and what is fun. And we just have to adjust to it so that we're making sure that they leave the same day as when they came or yeah. better. Yeah. And that's just a matter of not putting your, your years of experience and what you think should happen onto that. And, yeah. and it's something that's pretty simple to do. But it's really hard to to maintain because it's it's easy sometimes to get jaded or to get upset or to feel like that should have been better. The reality is is that those people's perception is their reality, and the only thing that can mess it up is you. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so keeping, true. Keeping them uh, keeping them happy is ultimate, you know, and that's what we want for all of our businesses, and I know that's what they want for themselves. Yeah. And so, uh, just maintaining that mentality, I think, is going to be really important through through all of this influx of participation. Yeah. So with that, kind of on that note, some of the things you've touched on, and I, you know, when I, when I first got on the board, you, you said something to me and I could never quote it, but I think we, I was really, when I got on the board introduced to like federal policy in that, you know, most of us anglers and even me as a guide and a professional in the industry, like, we become incredibly focused on local issues and, you know, our river or flows here, or maybe even as we expand our state. But you said something to me that everything starts at the federal level and that, you know, it starts with ocean. It starts with the federal level and all that kind of trickles down to the more front facing issues of people's like local watersheds and local issues. And, I never really understood that at at the time, but as I've served on the board, it's become very apparent that that is absolutely true. But so few people, like if you were to pull, you know, the average angler off the river or at the boat ramp and ask them, you know, what's going on in federal policy that relates to this fishery, most people would have no idea. Um, and I think it's important for our listeners to realize what, what, is after doing and what are what are you working on at the federal level for a lot of those things you're talking about like taking care of the fisheries you know what what is happening at the federal level as you just said you were on a call with the chief of staff biden's chief of staff and you know what what is happening with the new administration well you know um with biden's administration they're very focused on sustainability they're focused on climate change um, they really want to make sure that those things are at the forefront of federal policy and the way that we move forward as a nation. And and that's good for our industry because yeah. what what we have to focus on as a fly fishing group is that, you know, abundance in fisheries is what makes our day successful. So, you know, when we were talking about earlier expectations, well, expectations are directly related to how many fish are out there and how many of them can be caught. Yeah. And so understanding that is extremely important when we look at how we move forward as a industry. And so knowing that we are very aligned right now with the current administration means that we have to make sure that we're in their ear every chance that we get, making sure that federal policy reflects what is good for the fly fishing industry, which is ultimately going to be good for our businesses and and in turn our consumers. And so, um, you know, keeping up with those conversations is important for us as AFTA on a federal level to make sure that we have a seat at the table, which is really important when we look at the size of our industry and the fact that we do punch well above our weight. Now, the fact that I was on that call yesterday and every other organization has millions of members and brings in millions of dollars every year says something about the importance of us maintaining a seat at the table and the fact that we were there despite being the smallest organization by far. Yeah, and and that's important for me to continue. And it was sort of a legacy that was started by leadership before us and board members before us. And so I really appreciate the fact that we can continue to maintain some of those relationships. Some I've developed new because of relationships that I have within NOAA or other organizations or industry, um, you know, partners and things like that. But you know, the reality is is that when we're looking at a federal policy or federal level stuff. You know, we, we're focusing on things like access. 
So mm-hmm. right now we're looking at the SORS Act or, or Recreation Not Red Tape Act that's really trying to cut down on the permitting process or some of the redundancy that happens around BLM land or, or, or federal and national parks, you know, so that people can participate through this access in a way that isn't, you know, rigorous or a way that isn't confusing. And so that you're lowering that barrier to entry to people to access the public lands that we all share as a nation. So, you know, we are really trying to do our part to make sure that that our policymakers and then in turn, our membership understands the connection between access and trade. You know, the more you're able to get out there and do what you love and to get other people to do it through your business, the more money that you're going to have the opportunity to make and the more opportunity you're going to have as a business owner. So making those connections for our members is extremely important to me and making sure that we're focusing on those federal policies so that we can, you know, talk educated about them and also to, to weigh in on how they affect our businesses is that, you know, something that we do on a regular basis. You know, we are lucky to have an extremely engaged and a fly fisherman himself in our, in our lobbyists and the person who works for us on the Hill and Matt Mullen. Um, he does a wonderful job of keeping us abreast of all the things that are happening on a federal level. He's constantly in the offices of these lawmakers, making sure that AFTA stays at the forefront of their conversation and that the fly fishing industry, you know, has a seat at the table. So those are the things that we're working on from a federal level. And there's many more things, obviously, oh, yeah. just touching on the surface. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to make this a 45 minute diatribe about all the things <laughs> that we're working on. But if you pay attention to our newsletters that are coming out, if you pay attention to the videos that I've been making, our podcast, yeah. and then ultimately our social media, you're going to see these things because we're going to be talking about them. We're going to be making sure that people understand what it is that we're working on so that the brand of AFTA continues to be at the forefront, not only of our membership, but of our lawmakers. Well, and it, it's, you know, it's something I think I know opened my eyes or my eyes were opened was the the... I guess the the level with which federal policy affects local policy, which then affects me on my river, you know what I mean? Type of ideas, you know, there is this, you know, there's boots on the ground, local organizations working very, if, you know, I can just take an example locally of us is, you know, friends of Butte Creek. Well, there's this, you know, tributary to the Sacramento river that has an incredibly endangered run of salmon. Well, you know, you got people that live on the Creek doing all sorts of great work, very local organization, but in the end, federal policy, since those fish are federally endangered, really sets the tone for how that fishery is going to be managed, how it's going to operate, what's going to happen, how water policy on it is dictated. And, you know, it's nice to know that there is organizations like AFT out there fighting at that federal level where, you know, a little mom and pop group of Friends of Butte Creek may not be able to do that. You know, they can, you know, put gravel in the river for the salmon to spawn and do that, but they don't pull weight up on Capitol Hill, you know, and working with AFTA kind of opened my eyes to the fact that th- th- there's a lot of local policy that is definitely affected at that capitol hill level you know yeah i mean it's it's a flow both ways i mean and that's something that we have to make sure that we understand when you're talking about that federal versus local versus state yeah i mean the reality is is that the connectivity of all of these things is extremely apparent when you look at something like climate change i mean climate change is global in nature the way that affects our entire planet and so everything is connected through climate change. Everything is then connected through the policy that happens on a national level with climate change that then trickles down to the local level. So, you know, that's that's just one example, but it's a very good example and it's a very clear cut example of what's happening with uh, federal policy that your local waterway. And, and, and you know, um, anadromous species like salmon are a great example of that they go out into the ocean and out there they're they're monitored and then you know regulated by our federal government and then yeah. they come into the waterway that you're talking about and now they're they're managed by the state or local you know authorities and so yeah. again that's another connection where you actually have a, a fish that is touching both of those federal and local waterways and at the you know it's being regulated differently in, in both of those areas based on what's happening at the time. And so that's where, you know, federal policy really can mandate what happens to those fish whenever they're out there spawning and they're doing their thing. 
um, you know, in your river or when they're out there feeding and trying to get fat in the ocean and knowing that those two things need to work together and knowing that those two things are interconnected becomes extremely important when your, your local group, like you said, doesn't have the bandwidth or the time to go out and work on a federal policy that yeah. could ultimately uh, affect what happens to your fish. And so that's where, that's where AFTA and the Fisheries Fund really comes in to try and do something on that national level to make sure that your fisheries are being protected at all their stages of life. And, you know, yeah. and that's something that we've really started to try to focus on with the fisheries fund is to really kind of push this sort of like ecosystem based management where we're looking at habitat, we're looking at predator prey relationship, we're looking at forage fish, we're looking at all these things so that we're not just looking at a fish and the way that it lives, but we're looking at the environment around it. And with climate change issues that are happening, this has become extremely important. And those things are going to start on the federal level. And by helping to, uh, you know, get our lawmakers to understand the importance of that at a federal level means that it can easily trickle down to the, the state and local level because you're going to have this sort of precedent set that they can then sort of copy. And, and that's important. And it's the, it's really the conservation side and the stewardship side of our pillar. And so the, you know, the fisheries fund is really sort of honing in on that. And so it's important that uh, that we stay abreast of those those new and innovative ways of managing our fisheries so that we can then hopefully get that replicated in your state and local area. That's great. It's a it's it, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the climate change issue, you know, wherever you stand on it politically, philosophically, it is an all encompassing issue. You know, it's 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 everybody's issue, whether you're a, a whitewater rafter, a fly fisherman, you know, or a, a fish swimming in the river, you know? So yeah, that's definitely going to put the, uh, the interconnectedness of a lot of these issues in the forefront of how we move forward with them. So, well, anything else you got cooking with AFTA coming up? You know, I, I know there's a lot of probably guides and anglers and fly shop employees that listen to this. If, if they're not a member, how can they become a member? We have hopefully streamlined the process as, as much as ever been uh, to become a member. Uh, we have many different resources on the website now that should be easily accessible from the main page. Um, I even put up a video on, on how to get into your account if you're already a member. Um, you know, it's a very straightforward five minute process to become a member. Uh, you would just go to AFTA.org and you can see there the, uh, you know, join now, which is at the top line of the website. You click there, you pick what kind of member you are. And then from there, it's just a matter of putting in address name and then your billing information. Uh, it's a very quick process. You know, everybody has their own rate based on be a guide or retailer. Um, those rates are for the year. So once you sign up, then your, your expiration date is a, a calendar year from that date. So you don't have to think about it again. Uh, and you can even set up auto bills so that you really don't have to think about it and it automatically renews your membership. Um, you know, the other thing that we have cooking, which I think is extremely important, is that we have IFTD 2021 coming up in Salt Lake yes. City in October. You know, uh, I know you and I have been working really hard to get, a, again, the content calendar going to make sure that we're putting out information about the seminars that we're going to have at the show uh, that are going to be extremely informative and educational. Uh, this year, we're doing a dealer summit on Tuesday before the show that's going to be specific to help make your tail business better. Um, we're also going to have the peer-to-peer -peer aspect of the dealer summit that we've had in the past where you can meet with other shop owners from around the country to talk about what's affecting your business, how those things line up, and maybe there's some good information that you can exchange in order to make your business better. Um, you know, we're going to be in Salt Lake, which is extremely easy to get to. It's an extremely, you know, fair-priced place as far as hotel and eateries. Um, you know, we're excited that we are getting close to our 2020 projections as far as exhibitors go. I mean, this is something that we were really expecting the worst when it came to the show, just not knowing what to expect at all. Yeah. And so the fact that we've exceeded our expectations so far with ex with exhibitor registration, and now that registration's open for all attendees, those registrations are starting to pour in, and we're, we're really excited about the opportunity. You know, moving beyond 21, the sky's the limit. Uh, we're planning on doing all sorts of things to change the show in ways that I think are going to be beneficial to participants in the way that they want to see the show sort of move forward. Uh, we're listening to all of that information and we're taking it all into account. So being at this year's show in Salt Lake City, October 20th through 22nd, is extremely important because I'm going to be going around as the executive director talking directly to you, asking me what your opinion is on 
moving forward with the show and how it should look and becoming more of an industry gathering than a trade show. And if you're there, you're able to participate in that conversation. It means that your opinions are going to be reflected in the show moving forward. So it's important that you come. It's important that you you show that we're all back together in one place for the first time in a year and a half. The networking opportunities are going to be off the chain. We're going to be plastic, you know, plastic free again, like we did in 2019. Uh, we're working towards carbon neutrality this year, which is extremely important to us. And we're going to have all sorts of new opportunities to come out and see us. Uh, we're in the Salt Palace this year. Uh, we're really excited to be there and we're excited to see you. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's to give kind of the listeners, it, it is the International Fly Tackle Dealers basically show. It's where all the new products release. All the companies are there. Um, you have to be a member to attend. It is not open to the public. Um, and definitely if you're listening and you're a, a new guide or a, a shop employee or, you know, you just started your fly business or your anything. Um, it is truly the place to go and meet the industry. You know, if you're looking at exactly getting on pro staffs, you're looking at finding lodges to work for over the, you know, maybe the off season where you're at, like there is no other gathering that I can think of that I've ever been part of in the 20 plus years in the fly fishing industry, where there are that many people, in the same building from the fly fishing industry. So, you know, exactly. like you, you're getting an opportunity to meet all of this, the, the executive directors and the CEOs and the, yeah. you know, the higher ups at some of these companies that you would never get to see on a regular basis. Yeah. So having, let alone reply to, to your email. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, these people are busy, right? I mean, like yeah. you're, you're, you're just not going to typically get to email Simon Perkins from Orvis, No. but you know, there's a chance that you could see him at the show, you know? Totally. So, that that in itself makes this event worthy of being at because you're going to have an opportunity to network like you will not have for the rest of the year, period. Yeah. You will get to walk around. You will get to talk to these people directly. You will get to make those connections. And as we know in this industry and many other sports, having a face-to-face connection is what's going to put you ahead of the rest. Absolutely. You know, being able to shake hands, share a beer, have a meal. Those are the things that are going to put you, uh, you know, a step ahead of your competition. And so coming to the show is extremely important. You know, this year we're going to try to do more guide centric things around some of the seminars that we're offering. We're going to have Benny Blanco is going to be our keynote speaker at, at the, at the industry breakfast, as well as he's going to be doing a seminar for guides on Wednesday. So, you know, really excited to have, uh, you know, everyone there so can really take advantage of, of being all in one place. I mean, that's something that I can't stress enough. You know, networking is only one component of this show, but for some people who are new to the industry or people who've never been to IFTD, it can be the biggest opportunity for you to make your business stand above the rest. Absolutely. I, I couldn't, agree. I mean, the, the opportunities when I was young that came out of going to IFTD, um, I mean, really helped me, you know, build outside of just a guy rowing a drift boat. You know what I mean? So, yeah, which is important whenever you're trying to do this to feed your family and you're trying to make a living at it. You know, it's absolutely it's what makes it what makes a good guy great. And it's what makes the guy who just started out or girl, um, you know, that much better and prepared for the business that's coming. And absolutely, you know, being prepared in that way early on in your career is what makes what makes those legends, you know, is what makes you, uh, you know, have longevity in the sport. And Absolutely. So, um, you know, coming out to IFTD is not only a great time. I mean, oh yeah. Let's face it. Fun in time. The fly fishing industry know how to party. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one thing we're really good at. But, we uh, are but good also, at having fun. <laughs> yes. But, but also at the same time, you know, you can get business done in a fun atmosphere. And so, Absolutely. um, you know, having that, having that happen between the hours of nine and four, on show floor is is definitely an opportunity and from there you know the parties and the drake awards and all the things that happen after hours are, are just as fun and and can be as, as opportunistic when it comes to networking too so absolutely um come out to the show i'm telling you it's going to be a good time we're moving in new directions um there's a lot happening at AFTA, and uh, i want you to be a part of it so register now it's all open uh we out every Tuesday to really talk about what's going on with seminar spotlights and make sure that you feel like you're getting the best bang for your buck by coming to the show. That's great, Lucas. Um, as we, as we sniff up here on an hour, 
Um, let everyone know how they can follow and find AFTA online. And if, you know, obviously you are an open book. I know this. Anyone can reach out to you and ask questions or um, if people need more help or more direction. But uh, let everybody know where they can learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to AFTA.org. So that's A-F-F-T-A dot O-R-G. And uh, that's our main website. Uh, we're also on uh, social media. Uh, you can just Google AFTA in, in any of those platforms and you can find us. Um, we have IFTD-specific information that's on the website if you do want to get uh, registered for the show and then also member benefits and other things. And then if you want to reach out to me, um, you can reach out to me directly. My email is lucas.bissett at AFTA.org. Or we just have a general uh, generic email, info at AFTA.org. That will come to me as well, and I'll respond to your email uh, promptly. I am actually one of those people who respond to email within 24 hours if possible. Yes. And so you will, get, you will get a response from me directly as the executive director, and I will help you or find someone who can uh, within short order. So. That's uh, great. That, is that all? The, is that all of our channels? Uh, I think that's all. The as the board? yeah, as the chairman of the marketing and communications committee, you did a really good job there. That's it. I would definitely encourage people to check it all out. And um, you know, if you're starting out in the industry, this is uh, this is how you get more involved and get more connected. So, um, Lucas, thank you for coming on, and I will definitely get all the information up in all our feeds at the Barbless Podcast, and uh, always steer people to you. So, thank you Absolutely. for coming on, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And, um, you know, this is just, just step one. You know, we have a lot of steps left in order to make sure that AFTA is running as smoothly as possible. And, you know, one thing I want to leave everybody with is that we are currently the sole trade organization, but I want us to be the leading, uh, you know, fly fishing trade organization. That's important to me. And that's something that I'm going to, you know, use as a mantra to make sure that we're the best we can be moving forward. So yeah. And we will definitely have you on again. I mean, I can see a state of the union every quarter, maybe coming on the Barbless podcast and talking about what's going on. So I'm sure the listeners will hear from you again. So, Oh, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. I appreciate it. Everyone. Thank you for listening. I want to thank our sponsors, Sierra Nevada and Loon Outdoors. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Take care. No better fish better part of the barbless podcast network special thanks to our sponsors without them this show would not be possible like this episode leave a review 